Hey, everybody. It's Kai. This is Politics Inside Out, the revived Politics Inside Out from Marketplace, our uh, podcast on the politics of the day. And what a day this is, November the 9th. Um, with me is the founding editor, I guess we would say, uh, the founding host, perhaps, <laughs> of this podcast, Andrea Seabrook, our uh, Washington, D.C. bureau chief. Welcome back to uh, your program. Right? Guy. I mean, well, come on. It, we did it during the we did it during the conventions, and then we took the campaign yes. off because holy cow, the campaign, and now we're back. Yes. And Donald J. Trump uh, is the president elect of the United States, uh, and will on January the twentieth be sworn in. I want to take about I don't know tenish minutes today though to talk about the idea with which you launched this podcast, which was there are insiders in this campaign and there are outsiders, and we now have elected perhaps the ultimate political outsider in America, even though really he's an insider, right? Right. I mean, he's an economic insider. He is an insider by the estimation of a lot of people who would like to, you know, borrow a million bucks from their dad to start, you know, to or seven, I think he, seven million, I don't remember the exact number, but borrow millions of dollars from his dad to, to start out. But yeah, I mean, this is a man who has never, ever in his life been elected uh, to office. Mm-hmm. And that has not happened in, uh, I don't know, a couple centuries. Uh, yeah, I mean, like maybe ever, George right? Washington. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, since the early days of the Republic. And that that says something in itself right there. He has, you know, America has come out. If I may be so bold, yeah. Kai, America has come out and confirmed what we have said since the beginning of Politics Inside Out, which is that they wanted someone who had nothing to do with Washington, didn't act like it didn't run like it, didn't have a campaign like it, didn't have policies like it, didn't talk like it. They wanted that person in the White House. And they got uh, a person about whom uh, uh, the press had reported everything he said, about whom um, his own words were reflected into the public. And voters in this country said, we don't care. We want somebody who is not of Washington, D.C. We just don't care. Not only, right, not only did the voters not care about his, you know, bluster, occasional egomaniacal statements. They didn't care about uh, pretty well substantiated allegations uh, of, you know, of adultery, of uh, perhaps, you know, sexual assault. They didn't care about his business dealings, the fact that he didn't release his taxes. This was an electorate, at least the one that elected him, that was purely focused on one thing, and that was getting someone in whose main message The thing he was trying to say over and over again is that the economy and Washington have been, uh, he would say rigged, but put together in such a way that many Americans are not gaining. They're not getting anything from the actions of Wall Street and Congress and, you know, Washington. Yeah. You said something in our news meeting this morning um, uh, that stuck with me, and I want to run it by you again and and get some more thoughts on it. You said, you know, yesterday when the polls closed, we didn't know ourselves. And now this morning, uh, in the cold light of this election, we do. Yes. There is a huge, I mean, there is so much about this election that is shocking for so many reasons, you know, the polls and the media and this and that. But but really what we need to look at it as is is a reflection on ourselves if if there are that many people in our country that didn't know that a huge center of our population feels completely disenfranchised 
like it is outside, it is outside of the whole system, well, then that says something about the people who thought that. It says something about how much we are able to ignore. Uh, it says something about the privilege of thinking you're sticking up for people who are disenfranchised, but actually ignoring some sectors of that. There, you know, and and that's not to say that the people who voted for Trump were the least uh, fortunate among us. It's mm-hmm. that's certainly not true. Um, but they are the people who have gained, uh, have gained, but the slowest, and have not been in many ways the focus of Washington or you know Wall Street or our culture. Uh, for for many years, there are those who will listen to this podcast, uh, numbering in the millions and millions of people. Um, <laughs> who come on, man? You got to you got to dream. I hope so. <laughs> uh, totally. Um, who will say, uh, you know what? Shut up. This race was not about uh, economics and inside out. It was about racism and misogyny and threats and vile behavior. Um, walk me through the. No, really, there's a key economic thread here. Uh, I think a lot of people didn't vote for Donald Trump because of the the vitriol and, you know, a lot of things that he said. I'm not sure those people would have voted for him in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I sort of put those aside. Uh, in, the, in the case of racism, and this is something I've been talking about all day, there are a lot of people looking at the exit polls that see that the vast, you know, the, the, the pe- of the people who voted for Trump, they are overwhelmingly white of all income and education levels. You can't just say that this is about working class white people. It does look like there is some element of this that has to do with race. That said, I think there is a a way in which um, race and immigration uh, for these people are signifiers of economic mm-hmm. lack of progress. Mm-hmm. They they are all tied together. Now, there are certainly always going to be people uh, who, who just are bigoted and don't like one group of people or think they're whatever. But in this case, when you look at who voted for Trump, it's not just that they, that they were white. They're in the places in the country that have fared the worst from global trade policies of the last three decades. That is the co- that is the most substantial correlation you can make. Right. Uh, okay. So uh, this is uh, audio. So we're going to play some tape. Uh, and and here the first piece is uh, the guy who won last night. Here you go. Ours was not a campaign, but rather an incredible and great movement, made up of millions of hardworking men and women who love their country and want a better, brighter future for themselves. And for their family. You buy that, that it's a movement? <laughs> and, and also, well, you, you chuckle. But do you buy the movement part of it? And also, do you think he's going to be able to do what Obama did, which was take his 2008 coalition and, and move it through his presidency policy-wise? Well, what, what I'm chuckling about is that he's absolutely right. It was not a campaign. Yeah. There was no campaign <laughs> well, here. That's true. I mean, there was no, there was no, you know, real, you know, organization. I mean, in that way, he's absolutely right. He defied every conventional thought about what it takes to get elected uh, to, you know, not just national office, but the presidency in the United States. He has broken all of it. So in that way, he's right. I mean, he stood for basically one idea. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know. I 
I, in fact, think it would it will be very hard for him, as it was difficult for Obama, to translate that into a working coalition of people across the country. Because when you stand for basically one idea or one cultural group, it becomes much harder to keep that coalition together. The Republican Party has had that problem for years. So have the Democrats. And Donald Trump, though, you know, he has the luxury of sort of reverse engineering at this point his policy proposals since he barely had any. He, he, you know, he's got to walk this incredible line to keep right. those people in place. Once you start governing, problems get real. Well, and on that note, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. That's exactly right. And and the problem right. here for for uh, that campaign now, the incoming administration, and frankly, the rest of us is they didn't have a plan, right? Much right. like they didn't have a plan, they now don't have a plan of how to transition into government, and which is why the next uh, what is it like eighty days between now and inauguration day is going to be. Uh, uh, fraud. That's true, Kai. I mean, he really didn't have a plan. Although, if you look at his website, if you look at his quote unquote policy statements, they are there. He lists issues. There are sort of focus statements right. for Donald Trump and his campaign. That does not a policy make. People <laughs> right. will say people will say he had a plan, but let's be serious. It's nothing like a real policy right. plan. Right. So that was Trump uh, the in the wee small hours of November the 9th this morning. Here is Secretary Clinton uh, mid-morning today in her concession speech. We have seen that our nation is more deeply divided than we thought. But I still believe in America, and I always will. And if you do, then we must accept this result and then look to the future. Donald Trump is going to be our president. We owe him an open mind and the chance to lead. What do you think? Is he going to get that open mind? I mean, she said all the things that she had to say, but there are 59 million people in this country who voted for her uh, who uh, are going to have to be convinced. You know, I I find this one of the most fascinating questions going forward because... Because remember, when Barack Obama came in, even though he had this incredible groundswell of support, the very first thing that congressional Republicans did in both the House and the Senate was unanimously vote against anything he wanted to do, which at that point was rehabilitate the economy. Now, he had, you know, he had majorities of of Democrats in both chambers and was able to do some things, including stimulus and and so on. But uh, but there was no bipartisan. There was no coming together, really, after that. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether whether the Democrats follow suit, you know, in the opposite way. It tends to be that Republicans are uh, much more party loyal, but this is a man who broke party right. loyalty even. Right. So it'll be, you know, it'll be fascinating uh, to see at this point. All right. Last word goes uh, to the guy who's on the way out. Here is President Obama in the Rose Garden uh, today. We have to remember that we're actually all on one team. This is an intramural scrimmage. We're not Democrats first. We're not Republicans first. We are Americans first. Noble sentiment, and far be it for me to disagree with the president of the United States, but this ain't no intramural scrimmage, right? (laughs) No, it's not. And I will say that of all the candidates I've ever seen in my life, Donald Trump is the least likely to actually follow that, you know, that idea. The man has not 
campaigned on one America. He's he's campaigned on two Americas, one of which is the right one and the everyone else is an idiot. I mean, he, his vitriol plays exactly against what what uh, President Obama is saying. And remember, this is President Obama's sort of philosophy mm-hmm. of life more than anything. I, it's not Donald Trump's. It never has been. And so I'm interested to see, you know, how, how that widens the rifts or not, whether American can move around it, America can move around it. Sometimes the pendulum has to spring, has to swing pretty far in the opposite direction for people to figure out how much it matters. She is Andrea Seabrook, our Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief. I'm Kai Rizdahl. This is a little thing we do called Politics Inside Out. We're going to do another one um, tomorrow and for a while after this. All right, good. Thanks. Fun, fun. Thank you, Kai. This is APM.